Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Unraveling Technology podcast. David, start that timer. It's all happening in real time. Bang, the timer bang. started. How big is that screen? We've got a new screen uh, in the in the meeting room. It's some kind of massive touchscreen monitor situation. It's got Android built into it. Android built in and we've just noticed that on the general drawing screen there is also the option to start a timer so now we can see down to the millisecond how long this podcast is going on for except i can't because it's behind me yeah i'll i'm I'm kind of all right with that i think i'm not sure i would want a big ticking timer in my eye line while i'm recording this yeah i mean when we're recording this podcast it does seem to just disappear you know in a bunch of minutes at a time whereas now i'm here i can see that it's 43 44 45 seconds it might make it drag on a bit more i don't know we'll see how it goes yeah that's the new addition that that's useful as well because just to peel the curtain back a bit usually adam will um brandish a bit of paper in our faces 10 minutes from the end of the podcast to let us know that we have to wrap it up whereas there you go automation it's done it again adam you are no longer necessary ai replacing our jobs (laughs) (laughs) One second at a time. I uh, I witnessed the future earlier, lads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as people probably won't know, I'm going on holiday uh, to Austria in a few days, uh, for a few days. And uh, unfortunately for us, we had a look at the weather, at, um, what's it, projection? <laughs> what do they call it? Forecast. That's the one. <laughs> the other day and uh it was going to be raining most days so i had to make an emergency trip to decathlon over lunchtime um which i know and i I don't want to have a go at decathlon because adam i know it's one of your favorite places it's the greatest place on earth i mean i'm kind of (laughs) with you on the the two pound 50 backpacks and all that however i like got in there loaded up on um cagoules and and waterproof trousers and um so you get it in a big basket and you go to the front. They do have self-checkout, but I thought, no, you know, I want the full, on the full decathlon experience, so I'm going to go to the man desks, put the bag down, and the woman just went, that's 30, 34 pounds, whatever. What? Is it? Yeah, apparently. And that was kind of the rest of the transaction I did really slowly because in my head I was thinking, is that right? And if so, how does she know that's right? I can only imagine because you kind of put your bag down into this... This and well, it's just at the side, but but it has got a bit of depth to it. That there's some kind of scanner in there that scans all of the all the items. So basically, what you're saying is Decathlon is now a magical shop. It's practically the app, the uh, the Amazon supermarket that we were hearing about a few episodes ago. Wow. Except, yeah, I went to leave, went out the door, beep beep beep. I thought, oh, doors, am I right? Yeah. I'll just keep walking because no one ever does anything about that. Uh, and the security guard came and flagged me down. And went, oh, excuse me, sir. Got his phone out. He's got a little app on there. And the phone instantly like flags up a picture of one of the like waterproof trousers. He said, oh, did you buy this? I'm like, yeah, here it is in the bag. Oh, you didn't pay for it. Okay, well, <laughs> your <laughs> super magical payment this? machine didn't work. <laughs> I'm glad the onus is now on me. And I, it was not like I was I was checking the receipt as I was walking out the door right. thinking, because I'd have wanted to check that it had got everything. Um, but, yeah. Huh. The so future is here and it doesn't quite work. So that's how my Thursday is going so far. How's your week going? Um, all right. Is the I prospect think. of me not being around next week stretching in front of you like... It is. Uh, part of me is also... Once again, we're faced with the issue of whether or not I record a podcast in mm. the week that you're away, which so far has not happened. It hasn't. Mostly because everything seems to kick off when you go away. But I was—I can't remember if I said this last week, but the, the one that you led when I was a bit late, that was great fun. Listen, it was weird after 70 <laughs> whatever episodes hearing, welcome to the Unraveling Technology Podcast. But yeah. it wasn't me. It basically, it's going to come down to do I have time to come up with any ideas and sort anything out or Mm. am i just going to go ah everything's going wrong and i don't have time and ah have a have a little delegate delegate uh 
Yeah. Yeah. And get people to source your stories for you. That's what I've pra- practically done this week. You've sourced all the stories. Have, actually, yeah. Thank I mean, you very much for that, by the way. It was a sort of half and half last week. And yeah, maybe I'm building up the story. Yeah, well, story count. I'm sp- impressed that you continue to do podcasts when I'm not here. <laughs> yeah. I we, we kind of scraped through. Although, congratulations us. I think last week was maybe our longest podcast to date. I think it was one hour and nine minutes, seven minutes. It's pretty if long. You don't, if you don't count like two parters and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Okay. That that one two parter we did. Nobody listens to part two anyway. <laughs> no, sister part. Wasn't that like the, the lowest listenership that we had of an episode or something like that? I think so, yeah. Maybe we're peeling back the curtain too far. Anyway, <laughs> here's some stories. First story. So listen to my intro for this. <clears throat> Much like so many barrels of wildfire beneath the great sept of Baylor, Game of Thrones has leaked and the internet has exploded. If you've never seen Game of Thrones, I did. I you. did play with the uh, with the. Oh, do we need to be wary of spoilers? But it's a last season thing, so it's fine. I've no idea what you're talking <laughs> You'll about. You'll have forgotten by the time that you get to it, anyway. If you get to it, I wonder what percentage of the world understands that introduction. <laughs> Yeah, well, here we are. Uh, it's uh, it's Game of Thrones time again. And uh, last week, on the 31st of July, unfortunately for HBO, who uh, are the ones who produce Game of Thrones, or air it, or whatever, whatever role they have, 1.5 terabytes of data was stolen from their servers, including uh, a script for Game of Thrones, as well as leaked episodes of a few HBO shows including Ballers and Room 104. 1.5 terabytes of data, that's quite a lot. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there was not a uh, not a thorough breakdown of what was stolen, but you have to imagine it's quite a lot to be 1.5 terabytes unless it was the, 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 raw, the raw footage copies. <laughs> the raw version of the HBO logo. Yeah. With all of its... Do they still have the sort of fuzzy yeah, static the fuzziness. stuff? Yeah, the fuzziness. I imagine you got to record that in quite high. It's it's just, I guess that's a throwover from TV days, isn't it? That that introduction with the yeah. and the static, because there's that whole thing about the more particles you're showing on a screen at any one time, the harder it is for it to encode for streaming. Yeah, but that's probably a good time to do it because the first twenty seconds, thirty seconds that you're streaming something, the quality's naff anyway. Mm. So you know, get past the HBO logo. And by the time you get to da, 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 everything's nice and pretty looking. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, how do you how do you not notice one point five terabytes of data going missing? Well, I guess it didn't go missing so much as okay. it got copied. Yes. Um, I suppose as well. It's it's HBO, and they do an awful lot of streaming and data. I wonder how much data they stream per minute second i don't know i mean everything where where does game of thrones air is it sky this is really showing my lack of knowledge of game of thrones <laughs> sky atlantic in the uk in it and then yes i'll watch it on now tv which so, is owned by sky yeah yeah um, and uh, in america it's on hbo so you'd imagine at least in here it's going to be outside of america it's going to be other partners they'll have uploaded a version to their to to sky or whoever and sky will have to handle that but yeah and the probably the networks that they store all of their data on are probably not the same networks that they're streaming from i don't know i remember being burnt before i think it i can't remember what series it was three or four perhaps when now tv they had their big thing of day and date streaming of the first episode of that series of Game of Thrones. Do you remember, Adam? I think I think you borrowed my Now TV account for it. Yeah, perhaps. yeah. And the quality was it was obviously that the the servers weren't cut out for it. <laughs> it's awful bit rate the whole way through. Just everyone complaining, saying, "Oh, we can't get on. We can't watch Game of Thrones." This year, one of the things that I hear they were praised was how well the HBO servers dealt with right. the sheer amount of people that were watching it. No complaints, no outages or anything like that. Did they do simultaneous release across the world? Good this time? question. I think they did because 
usually to avoid spoilers, I'll have to try and find a streamable version online before it airs that night because it, it airs on Sunday night on in America mm-hmm. and Monday night here. Yeah, but on because so I've got Sky, so on Sky Go the episode was available to download in the morning of Monday before it had aired in the UK. So I think, um, I think they have done. Are you honestly saying the landscape is so treacherous that you had to seek it out day, like at the time it aired in the US, which has got to be what, one o'clock in the morning? Or, f- or when I wake up or whatever. Honestly, well, I spend all day on social media, don't I? So like I've already, I've, I already saw spoilers and I saw, I saw spoilers that morning before watching it do do you know things we don't about what's to come (sighs) the amount of tv shows that get spoiled for me is just ridiculous like unless you watch it the second it's released it's just like saves you having to watch them though doesn't it yeah (laughs) the burden of being a social media person yeah i've always been of the opinion that if a tv show can't live you know lives or dies by its spoilers then you know maybe it could maybe it's not got enough going for it hmm I don't know. Well, what, so are you saying you'd be happy if I spoiled next next week's episode of Game of Thrones? Uh, you know, we don't have to talk in these <laughs> hypotheticals. Um, but yeah, this this news comes a week after HBO had um, declared war on internet pirates. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. So this was this was before this all came to light. But in retrospect, it kind of looks like this was a response a response to the initial hacking slash leakage hbo went out and said that because i think every subsequent premiere of a game of thrones episode is the highest pirated you know Mm. the most pirated thing of that year so they they came out and said right well we're we're gonna be extra vigilant this time and what that means is they'll go to isps and tell the isps that so and so ip address is watching is downloading or I, I guess downloading. I don't know if you can really um, do yeah. much about people streaming. Yeah. People are downloading Game of Thrones and get the ISPs to send you a letter asking you kindly to stop. Is kind of the... That's about the extent of the... Um, about the extent of the law at the moment, I There's, think. There tends to be... I don't know specifically what the law says, but in terms of the stories that I've heard of, you know, people getting piracy letters there's a bit of a you get one or two strikes and you're out kind of deal so a lot of people if they do get contacted saying you've been illegally downloading stuff it tends to the first thing tends to be a letter saying Mm. stop it and then from that point on they might start pursuing legal from what from what i can tell though like Game of Thrones totally embraces the fact that it's the most pirated show in the world or whatever, you know, like you would wear it as a bit of a badge of honor, wouldn't you? Well, that's why it's so popular. Like they've they've come out and said that like without people illegally downloading it wouldn't be as popular as yeah. it is. I mean, not not to endorse piracy or anything. Oh no, no. But oh no, no. <laughs> but a lot of these shows like Breaking Bad, for instance, if people weren't pirating that and going hey this is great i should upload it so other people can watch it for free then in order to get people on board and watching those shows they need to be signed up to i don't know hbo or to a sky package or whatever and they have to have that recommended to them and so on whereas when you get this large group of people who are you know just downloading and watching something for free and then spreading by word of mouth you got to wonder what the numbers are for people who then go out and buy the hbo or the sky package to watch it legitimately because they've heard about it and the reason they've heard about it is because people pirated it well look as well like at this point like with things like game of thrones and breaking bad people aren't pirating it because they don't want to pay for it people are pirating it so that they don't get it spoiled for them or like they want to they want to see it first i don't know how much i buy that Um, I, i would say that that's that that is more true Think Maybe. about think I've, about I've heard the argument that there's think no think about like net with like Netflix and Spotify like music piracy's dropped dramatically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Like I people can, can people can get what they want for cheap enough now. Like a now TV subscription is what like a few quid a month. So like, but you know what, what's the point in having that if you're gonna get it spoiled for you because it's been aired in America earlier. <laughs> 
Yeah. Again, that might be more of a problem for you with your social media, with your all that all that worldwide web surfing you're doing on a daily basis, checking into all the social medias. I don't but but like, I, I've never had anything be that much of a problem. I've never like feared that I'm going to cr- run across spoilers in my day to day. But not mm. even spoilers. I think it's people just want to be able to talk about it sooner. There is something attached to that, isn't there? It's like the people that always want to be the the premier screening of of a TV program or own something yeah. on the first day it's out. I think there is an element of exclusivity and prestige to. Oh, I was the first. I was the most dedicated. The most, the person who wanted to see this the most. And the way the world's going, like everything is on demand. Like mm. look at, say, Amazon Prime and stuff. People decide they want something and they want it immediately. And well, there's a lot less tolerance for waiting. So, yeah, nobody go or a lot of people would want to, you know, download a copy of the show and watch it, even if they plan to later go and buy the box set on Blu-ray. But they want to watch it now. They don't want to wait for months for the Blu-rays to come out. Sure. As well, as well, like think about midnight showings of like Star Wars or whatever. Like people book days off work the next day and go and watch midnight showings of Star Wars instead of just like finishing work on the Friday and going straight after work and seeing it. Like they they have to see it the second it's released. Like do you know you know what I'm saying? Mm. I get it. I think in America there is a bigger like you and me. We can pay five six quid a month or whatever it is for now tv and get game of thrones i think every season of game of thrones is currently on now tv mm. i know these things tend to come and go so in a few weeks time game of thrones probably won't be on there mm. but then it'll come back at some point whereas in america i think if you want access to hbo go or whatever i think you may be tied into their cable subscription mm. perhaps yeah, i know things are generally a lot more expensive over there less that kind of competitive stuff. Yeah, that too. Not having because I think HBO is quite a big umbrella company, and there's a lot that they that they own. Mm. They make good TV, though. Yeah, they do do that. That said, um, we but we booted up the Fire Stick yesterday. Okay, uh, so like we've had it for a while, but we only occasionally plug it in because we only occasionally want to watch stuff on on Amazon. But we were just flicking through yesterday, a man of stuff on Amazon as well that I hadn't even heard of, and I thought oh, that looks really good. But who's got the time? say yeah there's so much out there mm. you can't can't make a decision about what to watch but you want to watch it immediately when you do mm. i know it sounds silly but kind of it, it, talking about breaking bad that was kind of that to me was like the halcyon days in a way you know when there wasn't too much on tv mm, yeah breaking bad was on and it was great but anyway uh yeah this happened what to say last year or maybe the year before as well do you remember the first four or five episodes of game of thrones got leaked uh yeah yeah and again i can think of some people that uh, some friends of ours who just watched them all the first night Mm. yes i watched them all i know what happens great whereas i was more of the opinion of well that's great but what are you gonna do what are you going to do for the next year? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm very slowly making my way through the new house of cards. But when I finish it, it's going to be less time until the next series starts. Whereas if you can find Reddit discussions for every episode and halfway down, you'll always find people going, oh, still going strong with this binge watch, guys. How about you guys? Oh, yeah, I can't keep my eyes open, but I'm going. And you think, oh, don't bother. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on. Next article is from Wired. This is the uh, this is the story of uh, Nathan Seidel. I'm going to say, uh, who uh, founded a company called uh, Spark, Spark Fun. S- Spark Fun. I've got it down as Spark Dull for some reason. Auto <laughs> <laughs> correct. S- Spark Fun, uh, which was a D- it's a DIY open source hardware supplier. And this is the story about how him and some mates. Uh, uh, David, do you want to take this one? Um, well, the way the Wired article starts out is basically explaining how he got given by his wife a second-hand safe as a Christmas present. Which came from Craigslist. Yeah, so she bought it from Craigslist. And the the issue with the safe, first off, it was an identical model to the version that they already had. Um, but the interesting feature of this was that it was locked and the owner had forgotten the combination. 
So she bought it kind of as a challenge to him to see if he could break into it. Did he remember? Was anything in it? Um, I don't. It I read, doesn't say that it, in the article. I don't think. But you wouldn't lock a safe, would you, unless you had something in it? Mm. I, don't <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so instead of just kind of like I don't know, devoting half an hour every evening to trying a couple more numbers, <laughs> um, he built a robot to hack into the safe. Oh, that's space. Yeah. So that's him and a, a few mates got together, and over the next four months built this kind of automated device from all these off-the-shelf bits and just stuff that they've 3D printed. And eventually, they were able to... I think I think that it affixed, didn't it? Like, the device affixes onto the front of the safe with magnets. Yeah, yeah. so you, you stick it on the front, and then it's got, like, a 3D-printed uh, kind of thing that goes over the dial that's attached to a motor. It's got some sensors to detect when it's you know, turning and so on. And it's, uh, I think it's powered by an Arduino, which is a, like a off the shelf sort of programmable circuit that you can get. And, um, yeah, so they programmed up this robot, just plug it, connect it up to the front of the safe, set it going. And, um, it can hack into the safe in somewhere between kind of up to 73 minutes Although yeah. the amount of time it takes obviously depends on the combination and how it looks out. Because it is, to some level, it's brute forcing the number. So it's just making guesses. But the guesses it's making are educated. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of kind of ways that he figured out to decrease the number. So you've got, what is it? Um, you've got rotors with, is it 100 numbers on each? This is in the article somewhere I'm scrolling. Yeah. yeah, so you've got three rotors in the safe, and each rotor has 100 numbers, which means that the total number of combinations is a million. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying all of that would take, uh, they're quoting, if you said 10 seconds per guess, that would take four months to figure that one out. So... Yeah, it's not it's not very easy to brute force that. That's how long it took him to make the machine. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, so the their new machine can hack in somewhere. They did a demonstration that took fifteen minutes and kind of seventy two is sort of the upward worst case number. So yeah, there's a bunch of shortcuts it turns out into hacking into this particular modeler's safe. Yeah, the the the, the safe kind of um it knows it's designed for humans. Because there's a margin of error. So whereas one of the numbers that you might have to click on for one of the rotations would, say, be the number 12, it says there is a bit of a margin of error there. So if you go for number 11 or for number 13, it will still work, which means that you can then cut down the amount of computations you've got to do. Do a third of the number of numbers. Mm -hmm. To bring it down to, like, one point something months. Um, The... uh, there's a mechanical trick of um, trying the door, isn't it? Well, something. if you if you rotate the rotors in a certain method, and it doesn't really go into the details of this, then you can avoid having to rotate multiple rotors at the same time, which speeds stuff up. That mm-hmm. sounds a bit complicated, yeah, and isn't really explained in the article. But that was another way that. By doing combining those two, he got it down to about one day, 16 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they went to Sentry Safe, who are the people that made the safe. And uh, their statement, I bet, they, I bet they hated getting this email through, when they were like, well, we've managed to, oh, the video link here, we've cracked your safe using a little robot. Oh, okay. And Sentry Safe came out and said, in this case, there was a tremendous effort, uninterrupted time in a controlled environment, the right tools and significant technical knowledge needed to eventually manipulate the safe. Mm. So, yeah, they got into it, but they had to have all these things to do it. And that's very true. But there were a a couple of points during it where I thought, um, you know, that's pretty cool, I guess, but it could have been. Like, the fact that it was four months. I was skim reading the article first time, and I don't know why, but I read four hours. And I started like they they threw together an Arduino little machine in four hours, and a part of me thought, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Yeah. And then I went back and read four months and thought, "Ah, 
that's a bit longer. And and the other one is you mentioned the thing the way they where you if you turn it in a certain way, then it can there's kind of a tell there that lets yeah. you know if it's on. So on they point. there's a built-in security feature of the safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way a human safe cracker works if you like watch a movie or something you see them like with a stethoscope against the safe turning the dial and that's because there's a little rod that kind of drops down into slots in the dials so as you turn the dial you can listen for when that slot lines up with the rod you'll hear a little click as it drops down and so you can use that to figure out when you've got it lined up properly and in order to prevent that they have on the third rod, on the third dial, they've got, uh, I think, 12 different slots on there so that that click will happen quite regularly and you won't be able to tell which is the correct one. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so his robot is uh, a bit more sensitive to hearing than a human would be. So he can actually use the robot to detect the difference between those slots. one of them is a bit smaller isn't it like the actual groove is a little bit shallower than the other 11 yeah or something like that and that's how it can tell it can go oh well that was the, that was the right one because it didn't sound as loud as the others or yeah something so like that just by listening for that particular one um that basically rules out one of the three rotors yeah so oh. that cuts down the one day 16 hours down to the 73 minutes yeah so one of the arguments that this is going to you know in in the modern age you've got lots of people with arduinos creating these funky little tools it's going to empower more people to become bolder at opening things yeah (laughs) so as a a side effect because if you think about the general security in the way that we use keys and locks it hasn't changed an awful lot in any sweeping way for the past however many decades there's much more of a sort of um well we talk about the maker community and people who are more into taking things apart and seeing how they work and you've always kind of i guess had those people but now you've got internet forums where people can share their knowledge and help each other out even when you know they don't live anywhere near each other you've got people other people who will stumble across those and or watch some youtube video that somebody's recorded and get interested in it and then start doing it themselves and yeah there's more of an open source community as well so i think i read in this article i might be making this up that he's open sourced the robot so potentially anybody even if they don't understand how it all works can go and buy the parts off the shelf 3d print some bits assemble a robot and hack a safe albeit like a a home level safe a fairly cheapish safe yeah it still sounds like a lot of a lot of effort i mean if you're doing it for a uh, kind of enthusiasts kind of hobby yeah. then yeah but i don't know what the what the real world applications are of say hey guys i need to get into this safe let's build ourselves a robot he's um, doing he's doing a talk at yeah. uh, defcon Mm-hmm. and well i don't know if he's uh yeah he's doing a talk and he's going to demonstrate it but he apparently wasn't able to find one of the smaller safes to buy so what he's going to do is buy a larger model of the safe yeah <laughs> which also has a key uh on it as well yes uh which apparently adds no security at all because there's a very common way that you can disable those locks have you seen how you can do that so you take the plastic bit of a Bic pen, put it in the lock and turn it. And yeah, it so it's, it's one of those locks, you know, the ones that look kind of like a, a little bit like a, a power symbol in a way. So sort of circular with a notch in them. And a cylinder lock, yeah. I want to guess. That would be a good name for it. Sure. And you just uh, you, you take the middle out of, a, out of a Bic and you've got that sort of plastic circular hollow bit and you can just kind of jam that in there and twist it and hey, presto. Wow. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a YouTube channel that I watch the videos of occasionally called Modern Rogue. Have you ever heard of that? No. They do kind of experiments with various things. And one of the ones they did recently was if someone left a key lying around, how easy would it be to take a picture of the key, 3D print the key and unlock 
unlock a door with a replica 3D printed key. And granted, it wasn't, it didn't look as easy as I thought it was going to be. Okay. Because it's still, after the printing, there's still a bit of filing and get everything down to size. It's interesting you bring that up because I did see a story this week where there is now an online service where you can take a photo of somebody's keys, upload them, and they will create a key for you, a replica key. Oh, wow. So your co-worker leaves their keys lying on their desk. You just take a quick photo and then send it off and get a replica key for their front door. Mm-hmm. I showed you that. <laughs> horrible and scary. I showed you that thing on Amazon, didn't I? The, the review of that product. There was some, there was some kind of uh, know, blog that I came across called like the worst, worst inventions or, or worst gadgets ever. And one of them was this. Um, I don't think the gadget itself was a, was bad. I think to be honest, it's, probably useful it's it's called um the lock lock killer it's basically a key that will fit in most locks and you put it in you you turn it and it snaps off so other people can't use the lock so it's for things like um uh, landlords who have tenants who maybe leave and take some keys with them or something like that right but there's a uh, one review from a guy who'd got locked out of his house and said i couldn't get it get in so i ordered one of these key killers mistaking it for a skeleton key and then not only had he lost his keys but then he broke it off and he couldn't get into (laughs) into his into his house at all yeah i mentioned i think around the christmas episode i got my uh, cousin a set of lock picks for christmas yeah it's quite quite fun it's quite fun learning to kind of brute force a lock and there isn't really you can get sort of tamper free locks and and things of that that caliber but a lot of locks to be honest, are quite easy to to pick, and I remember Just hearing straight an, up break. Yeah, I remember hearing an argument uh, a while ago that it's a key is it's more of a it's kind of more of a, a contract or like a signal these days, as mm. if, you know, a way of saying, "Hey, this is this is a door you shouldn't go through." Mm. This is when you when you break a lock, then you are kind of breaking a contract of this was. You are not meant to come in here, mm. and it's more of a more of a social thing than than a security thing. So, food for thought. Should we uh, should we talk about this uh, the AI next, the Facebook AI? Sure. So I heard quite a lot about this over the last week, actually. Although I think it's it's probably been blown a little bit out of proportion. So the article that we've got was from the Independent. And uh, it starts by saying that recently Facebook abandoned an experiment after two artificially intelligent programs appeared to be chatting to each other in a strange language only they understood. We we did cover something like this a few episodes back where Google was trying to do this. Where yeah. They, had, they might even be the same names. So the, the two AIs in this instance, or at least in the article, they've they've dubbed Bob and Alice. I'm pretty sure Alice was the name of one of the Google ones. See, I think when we talked about the Google ones, I think I've mentioned that Alice and Bob are common names in cryptography. Ah, uh, and so it's it's. I don't remember what the AIs in Google were called, but it sounds likely that they would use. I mean, same. it's A and B. So it's names that begin uh, with A and yeah. B, um, good, just to indicate <laughs> <laughs> blowing your mind. <laughs> yeah, let's see if I can remember that for next time this comes up. So the the scenario essentially is they had two AIs and they were trying to teach them to communicate and 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 exchange things. So they had uh, hats, books, and balls. balls. And each one has an inherent value. So I guess maybe a book is more valuable than a ball or vice versa. Well, I think the values are, from the way I read the experiment, you've got these two AIs and they've got this pile of so many of each type of object. Um, And each AI, I think, has a different value assigned to each object. So they want something in particular. Mm. Um, And the way the game works is say a book is worth three if the ai manages to end up the game holding two books it will get six points because it's owning two books which are worth three each and they have to between them negotiate and come to some sort of compromise 
where they each individual AI gets the highest score it can possibly get. And they just keep running this test over and over again. And they're using data that they've pulled from um, from real human interactions to yeah. kind of generate the responses. So the wording um, that they're going to say. And yeah, they have to come to a compromise within, I think it's 10 steps. And uh, if they don't, then they both lose and nobody gets any points. The deal's off. Deal's off. So within 10 turns, they've got to negotiate with each other and decide, you know, you can have this if you'll give me this, or I want all of this. Uh, like I want three books. You can't have three books. You can have one book. Okay, well, I'll have two books. All right, it's a deal. Done. But um, what books? Any books? <laughs> any books. That's the next level. They, um, <laughs> they actually... what. They've been doing this for a while, and one of the interesting things or one of the headlines that came out of it was that they learnt to lie. So the AI would pretend that it held a particular item at high value, even if it didn't, so that later it could give that item up and appear to be giving up something really valuable when it didn't actually care about it in order to get something more. It's when the uh, it's when the AI start typing out ha <laughs> That's when you've got to be got to be careful. That's yeah. when you've got to pull the plug on him. So the way that they interfaced with each other is, so here's uh, one exchange between Bob and Alice. So Bob says, I, I, can, I, 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 everything else, dot, 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 dot. And Alice's response is, ball, have a ball, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. <laughs> it's one of the chuckle brothers, <laughs> <Yeah>. at least. <laughs> so um, Facebook's, Artificial intelligent research group had this uh, visiting researcher called uh, Dhruv Batra who explains this language essentially. So, where Bob says, I, I can, I, 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 everything else, he says, It's like if I say the five times, you interpret that to mean I want five copies of this item. So, it's not so different from the way communities of humans create shorthands. So each of those eyes is a particular thing. Mm. This right, is apparently yeah. a fairly common thing that you will get in AIs. Yeah. In, when, they, when they're set up to communicate with each other, they will form a kind of shorthand way of communicating because all these two AIs care about is negotiating the, you know, swapping and assigning books and balls and mm. the third thing that's all they need to do so the kind of big expanse of human language isn't really required and they can cut that down significantly and be far more efficient by kind of coming up with their own shorthand for it so the internet doomsday machine goes to week and goes to work and you hear people saying oh well it's just two bots chatting but then other people saying oh but it's the first step to something you know they're communicating with each other in a way we don't really understand and and would, would, is this such a good idea? And if you have this on a, in a bigger scale, would robots running the day-to-day -day be a good idea? And then adding the headline that Facebook pulled the plug on them. Yeah, that, pull, <laughs> That's a real just spark they were, to the fire. Just as they were learning to love, Facebook <laughs> pulled the plug on them. So, yeah, this, so here you've got two bots that are designed to be very good at a particular thing. And I think a lot of people's um, wariness with AI is that uh, you can train them to do a particular thing and they can be very good at it but with little regard to anything else so um, if I type a command in Linux that's and that tell it to delete all the files in a folder recursively Linux isn't going to take my thoughts and feelings into account Linux is just going to do that it's not going to go wait those photos that you took they're <laughs> in that folder are you sure you want to get rid of those I mean yeah. don't they have sentimental value to you do you want to reconsider yeah Cause they're gone yeah, there's, deleted. There's, you know, eighty percent of this drive is full of photos, and you don't want any of these photos. Okay, fine, gone. And you do to an extent see that that sort of sympathetic design in software. So, one of the best examples, I guess, is when you quit a program if you haven't saved for a while, and it says, "Hey, do you wanna, do you wanna save?" 
You know, technically I click the button because I want to quit Windows, but I want to quit the program, but Windows wants to make sure because there are safeguards because humans are fallible and will make stupid mistakes like clicking the X when they don't mean to click the X. Uh, but you see in things like our ticketing system, for instance, if you mess up the times and accidentally get the start and the end time mixed up and it passes over midnight, it goes, oh, hang on, have you been working past midnight really? Or did you <laughs> did you put something in wrong? <laughs> or probably the more, more famous one is um, uh, like emails. So a lot of email clients now, if you say, I hereby attach X, Y, Z, and then you don't, it'll say. Did you mean to yeah. attach a file? Yeah, because you haven't. Whereas um, when you've got AIs who are constructed to do one particular task or a selection of tasks without much regard for anything else on a difficult, on a larger scale, I imagine that gets difficult to, to manage. You're What's, kind of assuming that they are going to do that task well and correctly, aren't you? And mm. that they don't necessarily need so many second checks and guesses yeah. because the whole point is to make it more efficient and do it more streamlined so second guessing every decision is just going to yeah, slow so that slow process thing, down yeah. and slowing it down means you know less production which means less bottom line have you heard of the i think i know we've talked about it before the paperclip maximizer uh, experiment or theory remind me it's basically that you give a, an ai a singular task to do and it will perform it at the detriment of everything else so paperclip maximizer has got to create paperclips so it starts off and it, you know it's creating paper clips and then oh no I've run out of run out of metal to create paper clips that's all right I'll this building here I'll just use the I'll knock that down and I'll create paper clips out of that and just creates nothing will stand between it and more paper clips yeah even the consideration of not doing something would would be not not efficient in the process of creating paper clips just yeah. gonna create paper clips and then you end up with a, a big world uh, full of paper clips <laughs> adam the human paper clip <laughs> kind of thing that's what they call me <laughs> that's my wrestling name nice that's good <laughs> uh so uh, there's a gizmodo article that um that was called no facebook did not panic and shut down an ai program and a bit from the article says facebook engineers panic so this is some of the hyperbole they say they've seen in some some articles. Facebook engineers panic, pull plug on AI after bots develop their own language, one site wrote. Facebook shuts down AI after it invents its own creepy language, another added. And then another one saying, did we humans just create Frankenstein? No one too accounts there because it's Frankenstein's monster. But everybody knows that. <laughs> Frankenstein's the scientist. Um, yeah. And then, just on that quickly, I think I've told you about this before. There's like a, like a kind of jokey law that if if you start a uh, article, well, if you end an article with a question mark, the answer is always no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've heard that. Quite funny. There's a subreddit called Saved You a Click, yes. where they'll give you the clickbaity headline and then in parentheses afterwards tell you what what it was like, what what ex-person did to impress their husband will shock you parenthesis they got a haircut this <laughs> <laughs> is nonsense so yeah mike lewis who is uh, one of the one of the fellas from the facebook uh, super research department says that they the reason they decided to shut down the bots was that our interest was having bots that could talk to people not efficiently to each other so this was it's quite clever what it was doing and the way that it was interpreting language but that's not what they wanted to do they wanted a, a human interface something that mm. someone could communicate with and it's kind of done it in a way you could, you know you can see what it's doing there with all the i i i i eyes mm. yeah but we mentioned earlier the google program which mm. i think so when google when google trans ai is translating uh, languages to each other it converts them to an, into its own language first and then back out into a target language yeah which it i think did on its own or worked out on its own and the google engineers just like yeah fine great do technically that. it's cheating but i guess i'll <laughs> allow it if that makes if it makes sense to you then do it ai 
Uh, right, uh, last qu- story I've got now, I'll be honest, this is the one where I ran out of time and I haven't read a whole lot about. I know this was one that we wanted to talk about last week and you gave us a bit of an overview after the podcast ended. But if you'd be happy running through it again, David, uh, for our benefit, this is the story about a, a US woman who was part of a, an ongoing... Is it an FBI case? Uh, it's not FBI because this takes place in Canada, the oh, story. Okay. Um, I don't know who CBI. The... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, basically, yes. So, um, in Canada, in a place called Saskatoon, mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think I've heard that before, Saskatoon. Yeah. Um, they were having a series of packages of white powder were being left places. Um turned out to be a hoax in the end but it was kind of this big deal big issue of kind of who's leaving these and is it a terrorist attack is it you know what, uh, what was the intended thought there was it meant to be well it could like have been things like or... anthrax or you know some kind of okay. biological weapon or yeah it but suspicious packages full of white powder got kept getting left in public places mm. and you know the police are charging around there's a bunch of bomb threats um in fact i think it's uh the person that they eventually caught is being charged with more than 80 bomb threats they yeah shut down city blocks and buildings apparently yeah so um the investigation was hampered a little bit because this video got released to um news outlets of a woman um basically owning up to the bomb threats and the uh, leaving the packages, suspicious packages, and the number one suspect, um, who's a woman called um, Alexa Emerson, uh, claiming that she had nothing to do with it and she was innocent and stuff. And nobody knew who this woman on the video was. So this big sort of manhunt kind of news outlets crime stoppers getting involved trying to find and track down this woman it's got to be a bit of a hit to your self-esteem isn't it <laughs> like no one knows who you are everyone see this video no one can figure out who you are well the thing is she's not from canada um she's from america and she is a um a woman going by the name of scrolling scrolling through the Samantha Field Um, she went on a website called Fiverr which is basically a website where you can sell services for $5 I've used it a couple of times as a buyer okay yeah just for um, like a couple of pictures so there are people that will take you give them a photo and they'll turn it into vector art or they'll do a sketch or an outline Okay. So, uh, yeah, but I think it's kind of diversified a bit. Back then, that was kind of that was kind of the basics of it. It was called Fiverr because you pay five dollars and you get whatever. But now there's bolt-ons and all sorts, and I doubt there's much on there that you can buy that's a Fiverr anymore. So, uh, Fields was basically contacted um, by someone who said that they'd written this book and they wanted her to act out some some like scenes from the book on the camera's book they said no i think it's supposed to be like a mystery book it was called the floppy hat right Um, sounds like a children's book and the book was basically this um this conversation this um admitting to yeah admission of guilt so unbeknownst to her she thinks she's acting out lines from this book and apparently you know person who asked her to do it was very happy and congratulated her and said thank you for bringing my characters to life and <laughs> and you great reading uh, and then that's last she heard of it until several weeks later when suddenly finds out that this video has been circulated around canada and everybody's looking for her <laughs> what um can you can you see the video online um I just kind of got some questions about how it came about, especially with the "you really brought my characters to life." Is she delivering this, this, this guilty admission video in a kind of funny voice, or, or like, 
I don't think the actual videos online, or at least it's not part of the um, the uh, news article that I'm reading. It's got to be around. If everyone in Canada is seeing it, yeah, it must be. But uh, yes, so mm-hmm. huh, Fiverr, <laughs> five. Be careful what you're selling on Fiverr, I guess. I mean, there was that controversy not too long ago with PewDiePie, wasn't there? Mm. The world's number one YouTuber, um, where he was. He went on Fiverr and got some, just some fellas somewhere to hold up a sign saying, I don't know, something, something very disagreeable. Anti-Semitic or something like that. Yeah. And that just, that kicked off a whole thing. I think, because uh, I think, uh, was it the, the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post? Wall Street Journal. Wall Street D- Journal. Essentially went on a bit of a manhunt trying to find everything they could that linked PewDiePie to anti-Semitism and all this. And I think it ended in him getting a, a, a partnership with Disney revoked as a result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney Maker Studios. Yeah. Um, because of, yeah, this kind of thing. Well, So, yeah, he'd, he'd paid someone $5 to hold up an anti-Semitic message. But it was uh, one thing that wasn't mentioned in a lot of that was that he'd actually asked them to hold up two messages. So there was the one, the anti-Semitic yeah, one, and the second one was referring to another YouTuber, I've forgotten his name, Keemstar, mm-hmm. basically making it look like Keemstar was the one that was saying the anti-Semitic things. Um, no, so good. It wasn't good, but I mean, yeah, it wasn't it's, as it's, bad all, as... it's all terrible, but um, it's... <laughs> And uh, there was another time when PewDiePie dressed up in kind of like Nazi regalia, but I bet it was all in a in a whole kind of video about context and how things he says are taken out of context, but then it was subsequently taken out of context. It's a whole thing. YouTube drama. Just don't even bother. So yeah, that's uh yes, I'm glad we finally got around to talking about that story. Hmm. Okay, um well before we finish, I have brought in a Kickstarter of the week. Right, so this one, uh, technically not so techy, but it does it does contain techy things. This is the most passive-aggressive uh, Kickstarter I think I've ever seen. And now I'm going to share it with you fine people. This is the Phone Addiction Cage. And it's okay. developed by a teacher or a, um, a, a lecturer. Mm. And what it looks like on the face of it is a small Perspex box that you can put a phone in, which you can then you can attach a lock through. The idea being that people can't get to their phones. All right. So it's a fairly, fairly simple idea. Uh, taking this from the page, it says, The phone addiction cage is a stepwise reminder for encouraging acceptable cell phone behavior. The Kickstarter has a very short duration so that I can get the phone addiction cage to parents and teachers for this September. So he's producing it to be a kind of a bit of an aid to parents and teachers who, who whose kids aren't using their phone productively. So then goes on to say, I need to be able to teach in an electronically enhanced classroom. So read, they need to be able to have their phones and the phone addiction cage allows me to direct students' energy towards acceptable electronic use for the task at hand. So it's not just a Perspex box because it's got these little cutouts on the front of it so that you can get in and interact with the phone, but there's kind of big Perspex bars in the way all the way across, so you can't, you can't do... You don't have too much freedom on any one part of the screen. So you can kind of, uh, the case does, it's not too snug. So the phone can move around in it. So you can jolt the phone a bit and then reach through a Perspex box to like reach, you know, an icon if you need to. But rather than saying to all the kids as they come into a room, hey, put your phone in this big metal box at the front of the class. You can have it at the end. It's kind of a a massively passive aggressive one, uh, like solution that says, hey, here you go. You can have your phone, but... I've practically crippled it. Look, <laughs> it's right there. You can use it, but not very well. <laughs> what do you think? You like that? Isn't there like software to do this? Like Meraki, does it Meraki do this? Mm, Meraki. I mean, like, can you like lock apps? Problem is with, with Meraki, you have to install profiles and that's really only for equipment that's owned by businesses. Right. Uh, whereas, and also I think there's some Meraki uh, 
features that don't work so well or they're quite easy to circumvent right. on phones. Uh, whereas good old fashioned Perspex lock box. Yeah. You can't <laughs> no, argue with the classics, can you? That now. Okay. So it does it does allow for us some interactivity with the phone. Okay, right. I've got a couple of couple of issues that I'm gonna take with it. Uh, one is that you got lots of kids, uh, lots of naughty kids. You're gonna have lots of phone cases that you need to buy to put these uh to put these phones in. Second one, um, which I think is the bigger issue, is if you can't get a student to focus on their class and stop focusing on their phone, I don't know how successful you're going to be at negotiating their phone off them so that you can put it in a phone addiction rage cage thing to make an example of them to all the other kids. Those are my two. I don't... I'm struggling to understand a classroom scenario where you'd want the kids to be able to use their phones in a crippled manner. Like, where... Where do you need to have access to your phone? In an electronically enhanced classroom. I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I, conceptually in the back of my mind, he says electronically enhanced classroom. And I think, oh, yeah. But actually, now I think about it, I don't know what it means. A, pl- a plastic perspex box is the exact opposite of it, electronically enhanced, though, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Well, I think it's more that you need them to, it's enhanced if they have their phones, but you don't want them to have, I guess you can't really take calls on it with the Perspex box, but it does allow you to maybe load up a website. Mate, I don't know if there's teaching software that's kind of like Jackbox in a way. So, you know, where you have all of your students check into a website on their phones mm. and then it's kind of a fastest like run finger a quiz on it. Or yeah, something. run a quiz yeah. on it, something like that. Yeah. That's just a real feel Kickstarter like, here. I just feel like that. that there's probably a more like a software solution rather than something like this. There I think. Be. Well, I think the thing is, if it's their phones, but again, I'm I I can't picture this scenario that you use this for because if if it's the school's equipment, then yes, absolutely, there's a software solution for this. Mm. If it's the students' equipment, then what? kind of lesson are you running where you require access to a phone but access that is going to be difficult to do and if you if you're requiring access to a phone like that not every kid is going to have a smartphone in a school Mm. and if it's a university then they ought Mm. to know better there is actually on the kickstarter page there is a note for teachers that says have a pre-planned calm escalation since most students are not going to be happy about losing access to their phones. Something like, today is step one. You can explain after class why you should be allowed to use that certain app, but for today, you either do step one, complete removal, or you take your phone to the principal now. (laughs) A little bit of calm escalation for you there. This... I think, yeah... If I was back in school this is the sort of thing that would get me very annoyed at my teachers. <laughs> it's well, not going to win the, points. Them having the box? Yeah, Just it's not like what anyone that, wants, but like, behave hey, yourself. I've got a legitimate reason to use this app. No, I'll I'll hear it after the lesson, but I need it now. Like, I've got a legitimate... No, I'll hear it. Take your take your phone to the principal. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm, I'd like to hear what you think is a legitimate app, need to use an app. Well, Joe, in an electronically enhanced <laughs> school, <laughs> this imaginary classroom where for some reason I need access to my phone but not being able to, say, swipe across the screen on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. If you, if you don't want kids to use their phones, then collect the phones off them or make them put them in their lockers before they come into the lesson or, you know whatever if you do need the kids to use their phones then either provide them with school tablets that are locked down or hope that they're old enough and mature enough or in like a university setting where they are paying to be there or something like that where if they're messing around it's their fault and if they don't learn it's you know on their heads Props to him, though. It's probably the thriftiest Kickstarter I've ever seen. 150 Canadian dollars is the goal. Oh, wow. Mm. They're basically just trying to make 30 of them for a classroom or something. Oh, 
One phone addiction cage is 50 Canadian dollars. What? I don't know the value <laughs> of a Canadian dollar, in <laughs> fairness. And it could be worth that. 50 it, Canadian it dollars could be, be... far off an American dollar, surely. Ah, I don't know. Australian One dollar. Canadian That's all over the place. dollar to pound. Mm. Um, it's 61 pence. Oh, right. It's about the same as the dollar, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. So 50 Canadian dollars would be about 30 pounds. You wish 61 pence was a dollar. How much is it? Oh, I don't know, but the exchange rate isn't that good. It used, it used to, to be. It used to be 50p, didn't it? used to be. Oh, it used to be. Back in the good old days. I, there was a distinct time when it was it was 50p and yeah. it was really easy to convert. Yeah. Mm. I know, right. Uh, I did, uh, there was a little bit of searching I did and I did actually find this other uh, product that kind of fills the same niche called Yonder, developed uh, by a group called Over Yonder. Uh, Yonder allows venues to create phone-free spaces. So it's like, um, here again, we'll, we'll put a picture on the website. It's kind of a pouch that you put your phone in. And the idea being, so here it is, the idea being that when you turn up to an event, you put your phone in a yonder case, you then go into the event and the case locks itself. And if you want to use your phone during that time, you leave the event and it will unlock itself. Um, uh, their vision, they say smartphones have fun fundamentally changed how we live. We think smartphones have incredible utility, but not in every setting. Yonder has a simple purpose, to show people how powerful a moment can be when we aren't focused on documenting or broadcasting it. Yonder. <laughs> uh, I can see these cases going missing all over the place. Yeah. Nobody's going to want to do this. I mean, I, I'm all for... Um, I'm all for, oh, you know, just oh, live your life, man. Don't be filming every second of it. But even so, I don't think I'd want my my phone in a little no. locked case. I mean, I think the benefit here is compared to the 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 smartphone rage room box thing, you you get to keep your phone on you, mm -hmm. so no one's taking your phone off you. Yeah, but I it can, is stuck in a pouch. I can see the disadvantage of you know a teacher collecting everybody's phones into a cardboard box at the beginning of a lesson. Mm -hmm. And who's to say, you know, somebody goes and picks up one of their, a phone that's not theirs and runs out the classroom at the end. And then how are you going to track down who took it and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But yeah, this, this seems to be more like all the images on their website are about um, concerts and things, people yeah. at music events. So it seems more kind of voluntary, except who would, do this voluntarily how about it's, it's a, a nah. weird one how about and i'm pretty sure an nda would probably work just as well but say if you were doing some kind of tech or product unveiling you yeah maybe use it i feel yeah but then i imagine those kind of things i was going to say you'd have a lot of people live blogging but if that's the case then you probably don't need to worry about an nda <laughs> either <laughs> yeah yeah it we're just the the world that we're in accepts the fact that everybody has a smartphone on them all the time. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine if you went to, I don't know, some concert expecting to be able to video it and they were and they handed out this pouch and said, no, you've got to put your phone in this and it's going to lock and you're not going to be able to get to your phone until you leave the area. Like even that is just, it's so fallible because it doesn't know that your phone's in the pouch, does it? So all you have to do is leave the area, take your phone out of the pouch, and then go back in again. Yeah, unless they have are some people sort of... checking you on the door to make sure you've got a phone in the pouch. Maybe. Like <laughs> if you if you if you want to record stuff, use your phone, have access to your phone, you're gonna find a way around it. And yeah. if you want, if you don't want that, if you want to have a phone-free environment and you want to live in the moment and, you know, not worry about broadcasting or recording the concert or whatever you're at, mm. just do that. Is it really that hard? Can you not, you know, give your phone to a friend or leave it in the car in the glove box or something? I don't know. I think that would make me antsy. I think that would make my mum antsy. And she doesn't really care. 
but just leave it in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on your I'm on your side, definitely. <laughs> I don't I yeah. I I don't see a world where this is useful to the person who owns the phone or is desirable to the person who owns the phone. And I don't see a world where either of these solutions are going to be easily forced upon them by some third party that wants them to have less access or crippled access to their phone. Their, their tagline should be yonder. Nobody wins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's enough slagging off yonder. It's, uh, it's time for the wrap up. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Do send us an email. If you'd like to talk to us about anything discussed here today, uh, send us an email at podcast at unravelingtechnology.co.uk or send us a tweet at unravelingtech. Got the blog, uh, unravelling.technology. Yes, that is a full URL, unravelling.technology. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you very much for listening. Me, David, and Adam will speak to you next time. Goodbye. Not going to say goodbye today, are we not? Bye. I, I was just wondering about the all three of us speaking next time when you're clearly going off to Austria. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. No. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be here, but prepare yourself next week for David's dulcet tones in my absence. Maybe. Maybe. We will see. Let's if see. not, then be rest assured that I'm probably snowed under with work. <laughs> yeah. Good outro, guys. <laughs> it's a real so solid solid ending <laughs> yeah bye